Hello, you're listening to Culture Call, the life and arts podcast from the Financial Times. I'm Lila Raptopoulos, an editor in New York. Coming up on today's show. You have to make a beautiful fight. A fight should not be just cry, not just begging for pity or somebody to have sympathy on you, but rather to stand a much higher uh, moral ground to say, hey, you know, uh, you really have an enemy. That's me. Protest in a democratic society has a completely different place mm. from protest in a non-democratic society. The Chinese activists really put their lives on the line to stand up against the state because they can lose everything. As you may remember from our last episode, I'm doing something slightly different this season. It's laid out in detail at the start of episode one with Miranda July. But the crux is this. My co-host, Griselda Murray-Brown, who I miss very much, is on maternity leave. And the world is in flux. And we don't know where we'll end up. So I'm on a six-episode exploration of one big question. What's possible now that would have seemed impossible before? What has this pandemic broken open that can't be undone? Right now, it really feels like we have a unique chance to reimagine. So this season, I'm inviting big cultural thinkers on to explore that question with me. I'm also exploring it with my brilliant Financial Times Life and Arts colleagues, and I'm exploring it with you. And today, I'm going big. My guest is Ai Weiwei. Ai Weiwei is 63 now, and his name is almost an institution. This is China's most famous artist. He is one of the world's great living artists, and he will likely be remembered as one of the most influential activists of our time. I met with him officially because he's promoting his latest art installation. It's a huge public art project in Piccadilly Circus, which is like London's Times Square, and it's in response to the pandemic. It's called Circa. Every night at 8.20 p.m., or 2020, very cheeky, the advertising screens turn off and that space is handed over to an artist. This month, it's Ai Weiwei. And through October, he's screening 30 really short two-minute films, one each day, and all of them sort of explore his life and his art and his activism. What I really wanted to talk to him about, though, is the art of protest. Because after a summer defined by protest, it was really hard to think of an artist more appropriate to talk to about where we are now. Before we dive into the interview, let's set the scene. Let me bring you on a short journey through the life and work of Ai Weiwei. Ai Weiwei grew up in a family of artists. His father was a famous poet, and when Weiwei was one, their family was exiled to a labor camp in northern China as part of Chairman Mao's anti-intellectual campaign. So Ai Weiwei spent the first 20 years of his life in confinement, and the family lived underground in basically a hole with bushes for a roof. Then in his 20s, Weiwei left China for New York. He did street photography. He befriended Allen Ginsberg. He lived a very 80s New York beatnik life. And 13 years later, he went back to China. And that's when his career-making protest art really began in earnest. In 1995, he became famous for a series of photographs that outraged people uh, of him dropping and smashing a 2,000-year-old urn from the Han Dynasty. And the question there was, did dropping that urn give it more or less value? You know, like, what are the objects we care to preserve and why? Ai Weiwei's art is just 
big. It makes a big statement or it's a big ambitious documentary or a massive art installation. Just nothing is small. Even in his photographs, he does big things like he's, you know, giving the middle finger to Tiananmen Square. Unsurprisingly, they are also entirely political. They expose things that authoritarian regimes want to hide, or they make us face things that we would probably prefer to ignore. His work also often targets the Chinese government, which, of course, is a very dangerous game. Let's take one example, a piece of work called Remembering from 2009. So this was the year after the Sichuan earthquake. The regime was censoring any details about the death toll. So Weiwei asked a group of volunteers to manually count village by village how many children had died in schools that had been constructed negligently. He then went to the Haus de Kunst in Munich, which was a building made for Hitler. And he covered its facade with 9,000 backpacks. And the pattern of those backpacks spelled out the words of a grieving mother they had met during their research. It said, all I want is to let the world remember she had been living happily for seven years. So you can see what I mean. It's big. And this is where the story takes a turn. Because in 2011, Ai Weiwei just disappeared. That's something an authoritarian state can just do. He was detained by Chinese authorities for 81 days. And during that time, a massive social media and street art campaign broke out around the world. You may actually remember it. The hashtag was Free Ai Weiwei. And there was this other popular slogan all over t-shirts and streets. And it was, who's afraid of Ai Weiwei? When he was released, he was put on house arrest. And in 2015, he got out of China and he moved to Berlin. So in these recent years in Europe, his work has gotten even more global. In 2017, he made a documentary. It's called Human Flow, and it was centered around the Syrian refugee crisis and migration through Europe. But it was like a massive project. It went to more than 20 countries. It followed displacement around the world. And like many of his documentaries, it's beautifully shot. There are these big wide angle drone shots that show the movement of human beings en masse. And then there are these close-up shots of people's faces and one-on-one interviews that force us to really see them. It's really deeply empathic work. Okay, so that's Ai Weiwei. Now, this is one of the more intense interviews I've probably ever done. It's definitely nuanced, but I'm personally pretty desperate for nuance these days, so I hope you enjoy it. Afterward, I've invited Jan Daly on to help me unpack it. Jan is the Financial Times' arts editor, and she's one of the most respected arts voices out there, so her context is really a gift. All right, here's the conversation. Enjoy. Ai Weiwei, thank you very much for joining me on Culture Call. Hi. I would love to ask you first about physical objects. You know, I think of that as a theme in your work. You were forced to burn your father's book collection as a child, and you dropped that urn, and you had people send thousands of handwritten postcards to incarcerated freedom fighters so they wouldn't be forgotten. And now we're fighting this invisible virus, and we're living through history. And we're in a time that doesn't have much physically to remember it by. I mean, maybe masks. Um, And there's also not a lot of clear imagery yet. You know, there's no Twin Towers on 9-11 or the flag on Iwo Jima. There's kind of no shared symbolic imagery that defines this time. So I'm curious how we make this time tangible. Like, do you think about what symbols and mementos and physical objects we can create to record this? I think it's very hard uh, time when 
our so-called reality is not exactly what we can feel, we can touch. We only see numbers. Then we have to think about what the numbers、uh, means, you know. And、uh, very often, even we see it, we cannot believe it. And、uh, mm. the numbers is very very hard to to illustrate when when it's more than a few. Our reality become、uh, emotionally very dull. You know, we don't we don't we don't see that as true, or it doesn't affect us. So when truth doesn't affect us, that、uh, poses a danger because our judgment、uh, disappeared. You know, as a, as individual,、uh, as an individual mind,、uh, if our judgment disappeared, then as a society will collapse because uh,、right. uh, simply, what is society? It's a collected、uh, individual mind. This is posed a lot of danger uh, uh, for our time. So. How do you think about how we can visualize this pandemic, or how we can become less dull,、um, or <laughs> how well, we can get、uh, to the humanity? Well,、uh, it's almost、uh, it's very difficult matter. Actually, it's a it's a challenge、mm. to to humanity. You know, we know if we attach to a person, could be a mom or grandmom, or to could be a daughter. Or could be one of your brothers. It still need a very, very、uh, intimate、uh, relations, and、uh, something it tells who that person is. And uh, but uh, when those things do not have a character anymore, you know, it's it just、uh, very difficult for human to to make any kind of moral stand or judgment. And、uh, we become mad, or we we become careless. So a peaceful mind is needed to to make ourselves to become a, a so-called normal person to make a, a right judgment. But it relate to a larger issue, you know, how we make judgment, you、mm. know, from personal judgment to moral judgment to political decisions and、uh, to what. Degree we we want to be involved because there's a certain social structure or, or political possibilities. In you know in every state it's very different, and also there's a huge media which also affect our judgment. So I think、yeah. it's an extremely difficult situation. I, you know I was rewatching your documentary Human Flow, and.、Um, Was seeing a small parallel only in that you know it showed us the, how deeply a refugee's personal life is political, or you know, like people who are just trying to survive are entirely at the whim of larger powers. And right now, it feels to me that for like privileged Westerners, like you know me, <laughs> or the ones listening to this podcast, for the first time, a lot of us are experiencing the effects of globalization on our. Day to day personal lives in a way that we can't ignore anymore. Like it feels like the macro and the micro are merging, or it feels like more tangibly like we're at the whim of larger powers, and probably always have been. It just we notice it more. How do you think 
that that is affecting us, to have gone through this shared experience. My hope was that maybe it could give us more empathy. <laughs> I, Please say yes. Yeah, we, we talk about the human conditions and uh, uh, in religious sense, we always think humans should have compassion. You know, the, basically, mm. you can be put yourself in other people's position or conditions. And uh, that uh, seems uh, is not there. And uh, mm. that we can easily see that is so lacking in contemporary life. There's a, a large area which is blind. So we mm. will not look at the the cost of what we have very much depends on the uh, many people's uh, sacrifice under the cost. And people have been cut off to, to, to understand the uh, human as one, humanity as one. So when people are suffering somewhere else and uh, also be mistreated or, or social injustice, very often we just pretend we don't know it or we don't yeah. like to hear about it. So that is my experience in dealing with uh, struggles uh, in China. You know, when I had such a big fight there, but, uh, you know, the, the argument is really related to everybody in communist society. This, so limited possibility for freedom of expression. So simply they can just delete you or, or, or make you disappear, you know, to mm. lock you up or to not let your voice be heard. But that not only happens in China, but I have experience uh, when I come out from China, come to Germany, and, uh, you know, start pay attention to, to human crisis. And, uh, in that, uh, film, Human Flow, I have been traveling to 20 some nations and uh, visit about 40 camps and interview over 600 people. You know, just, just, just common interview about what is the condition, why they become refugees and, uh, you know, then gradually uh, understand that it's so simple that all the right or wrong, it's very simple. You say it's very simple. It's not sophisticated. Everybody knows that's wrong. It's quite simple to even solve it. You know, it's no, yeah. no reason not to help those children, those women and those uh, only people. You know, it's just simply no reason. But in the reality, we see today's world. Nobody is going to help them. Nobody wants to help them. And, and uh, you know, it's like you see uh, the cut on your body is bleeding, but you're not going to stop it. Mm -hmm. Your work must be crushing sometimes. <laughs> um, and I, I'm curious, how do you feel about where we can go? Like what, what we're capable of as humanity? Like, do you feel... I, hopeful about anything or <laughs> no i i don't feel hopeful really i hope mm. desperate you know if you look at the history just decades ago we are we are killing each other in, in europe so we we do have uh you know 70 years of uh, peaceful time 
But still, anything can happen. This mm-hmm. is a human society. Yeah. And uh, anything can happen. I, I think a lot of people also feel um, not hopeful right now, but also people seem to feel quite energized to do something <laughs> where they can. Um, and I'm thinking of your documentary, Never Sorry. Uh, there was the moment where, um, I think in 2011, it was the Chinese government had demolished your art studio in Shanghai and before it happened, your fans came together and threw this royal crab feast and they had a great time and it was a form of protest. And in the documentary, a journalist asked you why they did it and you said there are many ways to protest. Um, And that has stuck with me. And uh, I feel that you seem to know exactly where you can make a change maybe or or exactly, um, you seem to, know your purpose. You know, you you go to Lesbos during the refugee crisis. You figure out how to get people into Wuhan during coronavirus. And so how do you choose your form of protest? What are your ways of protesting? I think uh, I've been working in (laughs) this this kind of practice uh, for quite some time. Um, yeah, you see people angry, you know, there's a lot of, uh, uh injustice in, uh, you know, around us. But, um, really to see, um, very creative, um, uh, protesting. So mm. without creati- uh, creativity or protesting, the voice simply doesn't work. So I see this is too often, you know, uh, the, you know, the, the authoritarian, um, attitude or, or institution or country. They're very powerful. And, uh, the form of their power is they are not going to have any kind of communication, you know, uh, through military or through media or through censorship, you know, they avoid to have a communication. And that's why they're so powerful. And for individuals, unless you find your own language, you, you're already victimized. Not everybody being victimized can protesting. It's not possible. The sign of yeah. being victimized is first you lost your ability to protesting. So that means you, you don't have the possibility because you already, otherwise you're not victimized. Mm. So because we otherwise all, you're empowered. Yeah, yeah, because we're all individuals. Doesn't matter, you know, right. a, a kin or, or a beggar. <laughs> they just equally are created as individual. And uh, yeah. as long as you have your way to, to carry out your, your, your powerful mind, and the truth by, by Syria, nobody can stop you. Mm-hmm. But, uh, that's not uh, the reality. So, uh, it requires to be creative to make a, a fight. So I often say you have to make a beautiful fight. You know, <laughs> a fight should not be just cry, not just begging for pity or somebody to have sympathy on you, but rather to stand much higher 
a moral ground to say,、mm. "Hey, you know,、uh, you really have an enemy. That's me." So that has to be clear. <laughs> yeah. So, what is a beautiful? I like that. I love that terminology. What to you is a beautiful fight? A beautiful fight is for yourself to shining out and polish the life itself. To for you to bring yourself a surprise. Okay,、mm. my life functions much bigger than I think, and much brighter, and that brightness can really、uh, give some light to the people around you. You know, if everybody、yeah. can do that, then we are living in very different world. Yeah, I'm thinking from the point of view, of course, of of America. I'm talking to you from New York. <laughs>、um, you know, New York City. You, New York City, yeah, Brooklyn. Mm-hmm. That's nice.、Um, and、uh, you know, over the summer there have been a number of protests for Black Lives Matter, and there were. Helicopters above our homes, and the movement and the protests were very powerful. And I think a lot of people, for the first time, went outside feeling like, okay, there's a pandemic, but this is worth it. <laughs> you know,、um, wanting to fight for something. Well, and、mm-hmm. yeah, go ahead. Uh, uh, to to testify your protest is powerful. Not it's not just to. Make a satisfaction by by you or your friend or crowd or people holding the same ideology. Yeah, that will not make it powerful. You only see your power from your enemy's eye.、Mm. So then you know it's powerful or not. So don't have the wrong illusion to see more people or you know look at the Hong Kong people. There are millions demonstrate on street peacefully, and、uh, for、um, over a year, the daily they've been crashed by police. Is that powerful? It's 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 amazing how powerful that can be. The young、mm. people, but、uh, is that bring them to anywhere? No, the power is have the last words. They they are very arrogant. They're not going to listen to you. They can you、right. they can crash you using tanks. So what are you protesting in Brooklyn is not powerful.、Right. I I don't see whatever the protesting in United States is real powerful. I only see yes, this generates a lot of uh, um, understanding or or a lot of、uh, meaning in between those people protesting. But the power is not going to listen to you. You know, you look look at those politicians. What they care? Look at the, how they debate in there. I mean, that will、yeah. that will be a, such an insult to American people, right? If you pro you you can walk on street. There's more police. There's more hel- helicopters. But that doesn't mean that much. So how should Brooklyn protest? If you really think you have strong ideas, you have to really not just、uh, walking on the street. I think that's one form of protesting. But you have to do,、um, you have to be very creative. I often ask,、uh, "Is that protesting still going on? And what that will lead to?" 
and do they have other kind of form, other kind of, you know, to, to something really can be remembered and something the, the power really cannot ignore. They really have to set up a major uh, obstacles for the, the normal functioning of the structure, you know. Otherwise, uh, uh, it's, it's very much like a party. Right. Do you have any examples of powerful forms of protest that you're thinking of? Creative and powerful. Uh, <laughs> uh, actually, I really should do some study, but uh, I only know my personal uh, fight. And, uh, yeah. you know, that only to a very small, uh, uh, how is it, a small scale. But uh, sometimes you can see the authority, how much they are afraid. But uh, mm. I'm facing very different uh, situation. You know, you're in democratic society, namely your rights being guaranteed by the structure. I hope somebody hire me to be advisor to how to protest, you know, so I can give out uh, some uh, valuable uh, instructions. Yeah, I yes, I agree. <laughs> Um, One thing that I'm asking all of my guests on the show this season is since the pandemic, as we're, we're still in the middle of it, but, you know, what do you think is possible now that would have seemed impossible before? It feels some in, in many ways to me that the pandemic has shown a light through a lot of cracks in our system that were always there. Maybe they're more clear now. And so I wonder what you think about that, either in art and culture or in society. I think uh, this pandemic is uh, really very meaningful in many ways. In the reality, it it already taking uh, uh, maybe over a million people's life and also loss of business and financial problems. But it's it's much more uh, meaningful in in the symbolic uh, uh, sense. It, it, it tells almost every kind of problems in relating to human society and uh, the political structure and very different social structures and uh, affect all kinds of struggles from individual personal uh, struggles to state. And uh, I don't know how much we are going to learn from this because I do feel uh, we, as human, we have the ability to forget about all those. Mm. And uh, that ability is much uh, powerful than we can accept or imagine. Mm-hmm. We just simply will not uh, remember those things, you know, all those tragic moments. Because in the history, there's a lot of tragic moment. Mm-hmm. It doesn't make us much smarter. You know, we, we still drop into the same hole again and again. Everybody sh- should think about it because uh, that will really affect our future. You know, what yeah. what kind of society or the, what kind of uh, future we are going to bring our, our children into. You know, what kind of danger we put them in only because we want to become more rich or more, uh, you know, uh, ruthlessly uh, exploring other people's rights just to live in this kind of comfort. 
Second thing I can say is very fundamental is the health issue, because health issue relate to anybody. It relates to not just the different minority or or religious background or or political beliefs. It relates to everybody. So when a nation cannot provide a, a basically health, uh, uh, you know, the two big nations, U.S. cannot do it, and China、mm-hmm. cannot do it. And many many nations can do very well. About everybody has the right to be treated when they're sick, and、uh, you know, to to this is not a business when you're helping somebody to recover, trying to make it as a business or to be profited from human health. This is simply evil.、Mm-hmm. This this is a society which is a hopeless. Yeah. So every time we should make a target very clear and very simple, and everybody understand. Otherwise, we get confused. And that simple message in this case, you're saying, is everyone deserves healthcare. Everyone deserves the dignity to,、uh, and the respect and the dignity about life. It's not treat someone. The the illness is a human illness. We have to treat、yeah. it. Old, elderly, or poor, you know, just simply take care of it. Wei Wei, my my last question for you is: right now, what's bringing you joy? My joy is、uh, to watch a cat or to see. The sun rises up every morning, and you know the bright light penetrating the shadows, and the, you know the leaves,、uh, all those beautiful things around us. But too often, we are neglected. We we shut ourselves off.、Mm-hmm. I'm fortunate. I'm very fortunate. You know, I'm not in in detention anymore. You know, my son is in very good school, and、uh, you know he can peacefully study. But、uh, there's a lot of people have to worry about、uh, worry about、uh, too many things. Yeah, Weiwei, thank you very much for、um, joining me on Culture Call. This was a、um, a real pleasure and honor. Thank you. Very nice. Very nice to talking with you. Very pleasant. Thank you. I am here now with the FT's longstanding arts editor and one of the true great journalists and editors of the art world. That's Jan Daly. Hi, Jan. Hello, Lila. What a lovely introduction. Thank you. It's great to、um, have you here. And I'm just going to take a minute to embarrass you,、um, just to tell listeners that that you have interviewed some of the most legendary artists of our time, and you understand this world like the back of your hand. And so I'm just very excited to talk through this conversation with Ai Weiwei with you, and、um, and also figure out where art is going. Well, that'll be a real pleasure. Maybe the first thing we can do is just chat a little bit about Ai Weiwei. What is your perception of the role that he plays, and and the value of his voice, sort of where it sits? Ai Weiwei is truly a one-off. There isn't、mm. really another artist working today that's like him. There are lots of very fine Chinese contemporary artists, and there are lots of Chinese contemporary artists who are. 
activist and whose work is politically charged. But Ai Weiwei is really uh, the leader of that particular pack. Mm. But at the same time, he has risen to the very top of the international art world and indeed mm. art markets. Yes. You know, as you say that, Jan, I was thinking about um, about his outlook, and I don't know mm. if I expected him to be uh, hopeful in some way, or, or maybe not hopeful, but like he was sort of ready to fight or, or, or animated to protest or something. But I just was really struck by how down he seemed, quite depressed about the state of humanity and our ability as people to really have compassion for human suffering and put ourselves into other people's shoes and, and really help each other and feel like it's our problem too. And, you know, he said, I don't feel hopeful, really. I feel desperate. And I don't know if I was surprised by that because I'm I'm just trying to grasp onto hope. Um, but I'm curious how you experienced that listening to it and knowing his work. I I don't know China and Chinese culture very well. Mm. I, I wouldn't claim to know it at all well. But I'm thinking that this is a cultural difference mm. in a way of expressing things. Because in fact, he sees something wrong in the world. He goes belting off after it you know (laughs) I mean he's on it so that is actually a hopeful way of being isn't it it's Mm. it's an op I mean if if he had no optimism he wouldn't do it because there would be no point but in fact um in if you look at what he does as opposed to what he says he obviously does feel that the world is susceptible to at least amelioration, even if it's never going to be perfect, right? And maybe both can be true, right? Maybe yes. Can... I think I think both I think both absolutely are true. Yeah. But I think that he has seen some very 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 dark things um, from his childhood onwards, and so to have um, a dark view of essential human nature and the way that human beings are capable of treating each other is not surprising. I was struck in the interview that um, so much probably means something different <laughs> when you're a Chinese dissident, including protest. And I have been thinking since our conversation about his opinion on protest in the West and how to protest creatively and that powerful protests actually make authority afraid, you know, that walking on the street with like-minded people like we were doing is, is a way to protest, but it's not necessarily powerful. And, um, and I felt sort of mixed about that. I felt both that it was this very different point of view on what can make change and what powerful means and what protest does, which I found kind of clarifying because sometimes you can feel that you go out and, and things don't change. And then on the other side, it felt like, but there's so much more attention drawn now to the Black Lives Matter movement. You know, it, it does feel like it's doing something. I, I, I do believe something's happening. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I obviously don't. Have, <laughs> I haven't figured out exactly my my take on his point of view. Um, other than I'd never heard that before. I'm curious how you felt. Yeah, yeah. I, I think it's. I think really he was saying protest in a democratic society has a completely different place Mm. from protest in a non-democratic society. I mean, 
the Chinese activists um, really put their lives on the line mm-hmm. to, um, you know, to stand up against the state because they can lose everything. Now, yeah. it's very difficult. This is a very, very difficult topic because it has to be said right away that that's also been true always, particularly with race-based protest in both our countries. People get injured, people die protesting. So we can't let Ai Weiwei tell us that, you know, somehow these people were not just as heartfelt and in just as much danger and sacrificed just as much yes, because they did and they have. And I think that the Black Lives Matter protests recently have been bigger than anything anybody's seen since the days of the civil rights marches 40, 50 years ago. But you feel like actually not very much, not enough has changed in that 50 years. Yeah. But I, but I also, on the other hand, understand what he was saying, which is to draw a distinction between the different types of protest, what protest is in one kind of society and what it is in another kind of society. Mm. And I think he was also saying, you know, if you want to change things, you've got the ballot box. So let's hope you're really right. using it. And and politicians only listen to protests insofar as it's going to hit them in the ballot box. Right. At the, at the point at which they think it might, then they listen. But that's a very, very different mechanism of protest. Ai Weiwei's protests are about uh, really shaming China to the world. Mm-hmm. It's about getting the international spotlight on China in a way that they might care about. Yeah. So so I think I think probably that was his point. But at the same time, yeah, I mean it was it was an attack. It was more or less saying, look, you you know, you actually have it much easier than we do. I think that's what he was saying. And he is probably right. Yeah, I mean, and there really is sort of a a lower barrier for what scares an American politician versus what scares a Chinese authority. But then I suppose we we move on maybe to the question of what role art can play in this. Yeah, because I think it's different again that in that in China and other totalitarian societies, art, the arts, have always had a very powerful role in protest. In any culture that has censorship, the arts have always found ways of getting around the censorship to make statements and get the eyes of the world on them. Yes. And whether it was Russia under the Tsars with, you know, Dostoevsky's novels or, you know, whatever it was. Whether protest art has a real place in our societies, it does because it kind of stings. It stings. I think yeah. it stings, but it doesn't really bite very deep. To be completely honest, I'm sorry mm. if I'm sorry if any uh, activist artists listening are upset by that. <laughs> but to be honest, I don't think it has a huge effect. Why do you feel that way? I've never I've never seen it have a huge effect. Mm. Really, I think that I think we've got. I mean, we're lucky. We've got so many other channels. But I, I mean, I think it, it does have an effect, but I think it, it's slow and it takes time and it, it, it's more about changing norms. You know, that's mm. what art can do. Art can, art can make something that was once outlandish normal or something right. that's normal look outlandish. And then we look at things afresh. That's what art does for us. Jen, one big picture question that we're asking everyone this season um, is how they feel culture is changing, you know, um, based on everything we've talked about, sort of 
what's possible now that maybe wasn't possible before and what's gone. And I'm curious how you feel, I mean, especially in the art world. I think it'll take a long time. It always takes a long time, actually, in in the arts, really, to see um, what you know, what comes out of it, what what's written about it, what the music is, what it there are there is stuff happening. I mean, you know, in the paper just this week, we're working on a piece about all the operas that, that have been written during lockdown and produced quite amazing i mean produced online um yeah but um actually normally it's a it's a slower process it takes it takes a while for artists and creative uh, creators to ingest what's going on and kind of bring it out in a cultural form for the rest of us to understand but it'll be very exciting when it does come i mean i don't feel I don't feel particularly depressed about that. I think actually it could be could be really extraordinary. You know, they say uh, there's that phrase sort of after after a plague, there's a renaissance. Mm-hmm. Well, it'll be a renaissance in some sense in that it... Um, I read somebody a couple of days ago saying, pointing out that when when you make a technological change, it never gets unmade. Mm. You never You never go back. So, so that uh, a lot of the stuff that will have happened in the art world, a lot of that will stay. It doesn't mean that museums won't reopen or theatres won't reopen, but I think almost everything will be on two platforms. I think there'll be the virtual and the real life platforms for most cultural activities because you don't go back. Yeah, I think that's a perfect place to end. Jan, thank you so much for your time and your wisdom. This was a real pleasure. Oh, well, Lila, thank you for talking to me. I really enjoyed it. That's it for this week. I would love to hear what you thought of today's episode and your thoughts on the theme. What do you think is possible now in culture that wasn't before? And what do you think is gone forever? Thank you to everyone who's written in. You've given me a lot to think about. And please keep writing. You can email the show at culturecall at ft.com. I am on Instagram and Twitter at Lila Rapp. And the show is on Twitter at FT Culture Call. If you like the podcast, I have a special request for you. Think of one or two friends who you think would like it too and let them know about it. Or post this episode on your Instagram stories. Or maybe leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. These things all make a massive difference and they really help new listeners discover the show. I'll be back in two weeks' time, which will be just three days after the U.S. election, which will be another seismic shift. I look forward to unpacking it with you. I've been Lila Raptopoulos. Culture Call is produced by Lena Prestwood at Scenery Studios, and our music is composed by Tristan Cassell Delavoie. Special shout out to my co-host, Griselda Murray-Brown. sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with Bowlin Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowlin Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlinBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.